During the 60s, there was a significant cultural shift in America. The rules began to be challenged. People thought that if there were any rules, then there was no freedom. True freedom, they said, it meant no rules at all. No laws, no morals, no community, uh, no standards, just absolute autonomous freedom. And this led to free love, free drugs, free sex, free everything. If it feels good, do it, became the war cry. Now, this motto, this, this mindset has infiltrated the church to an extent. Many today read what Scripture says about Jesus setting us free, and they conclude that that freedom means that we really don't have to do anything we don't want to do. If someone says there are things we are to do or things we are not to do, then they are infringing upon the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. But is this sort of absolute personal autonomy what Jesus meant when he said that the Son sets us free and we are free indeed? Scripture gives us the answer to this. Open your Bible today to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13 is where we're going to start. It's page 893. If you've got a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Galatians 5 and 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. The title of the message this morning is Serve One Another. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and you are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we want so much today to understand your word. We want so much for your word to speak into our lives, to bring change, and to help us be more and more like Jesus. So, Father, we come today with an attitude of submission. Our hearts are open. Our ears are open. Speak, Lord, for your servants. We hear today, God, we are here to listen to what you have to say to us. Father, send your Holy Spirit and let him take your word and use it in each of our lives. Father, let him use it like a sword to convict us where we need convicting. Let him use your, your word, Father, like a hammer to break down strongholds that we have erected so that our every thought could be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. Father, let your Holy Spirit use your word like a a fire that would burn away the junk and the dross from our lives, that, God, we would be pure vessels for Jesus. Father, help us today and, and let Your Spirit use Your Word like a mirror to show us who we really are. And, Lord, let us be honest about what Your Word and Your Spirit reveal about our lives and our hearts and our attitudes toward the things that You want us to do. Father, fill me today with Your Holy Spirit and help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Don't let me in any way be a hindrance to what you want done. Glorify yourself in this time. Use it to advance your kingdom. Use it to strengthen your church. Use it to help us be who you want us to be. We ask in the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when Paul arrived in the region of Galatia, the people were enslaved to sin and to idolatry. Paul preached Jesus to these people, and many of them repented of their sins, and they believed in Jesus Christ. When they repented of their sins and believed in Jesus, Jesus set them free from their slavery, and He gave them new, eternal life. After Paul left, a group of false teachers, Jewish false teachers called Judaizers, came in and began to teach these newly freed believers, that in order to truly be saved, what they had to do is they had to start following Jewish 
rituals and laws like circumcision, Sabbath days, and abstaining from certain foods. The, the Judaizers gave a pretty compelling case as to why this is what they needed to do. And by the time Paul writes to, to them in this book, they are considering making the switch. They are giving real serious thought to submitting themselves to the rules that the Judaizers are bringing. Paul writes this book in part to refute the legalism of the Judaizers and to urge the believers to stand in the liberty that Christ has given them. But Paul's argument in part is to go from being enslaved by sin to being enslaved by legalism isn't really an improvement. Slavery is slavery regardless of what you're enslaved by. Jesus, on the other hand, He came to set us free. And those whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. Jesus did not intend for us to give up His liberty for slavery of any kind. Instead, as Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 1, we are to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I like how the NIV translates verse 1 and it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. There is no doubt that as believers, we are meant to be free, to live free. But how are we to live in this freedom? We see a big answer to this in the passage that we're studying. There is, a, there is an acceptable way to live out our freedom in Christ. And there is an unacceptable way to live out our liberty in Christ. Paul says in verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use this liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Right? The, the unacceptable way to live out our liberty in Christ is to use this liberty as an excuse to live according to our sinful nature. Now, our sinful nature is something that every person has. Prior to coming to Jesus, we are enslaved to our sinful nature. It, it rules and it reigns over our lives and we follow it in its passions and its desires. But when we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, he, he breaks the slavery. He breaks that hold and He sets us free. And we are no longer slaves to our sinful nature. But, even though we're not slaves to our sinful nature, we do still struggle against it. Paul expresses this in verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. See, as believers, the spirit of the living God lives within us and he is always pulling us to do the things that God wants us to do. But our sinful nature, he's also there and it's also at work and it's pulling us to do the opposite of what God would have us to do. And even though, though we, we struggle against this and its struggle is real, we are not slaves to our sinful nature. That's a huge thing to understand. Right? In so many places, we are told that we, we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. Even in verse 16, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of our sinful nature. As believers in Jesus Christ, we never, ever have to do what our sinful nature wants us to do. We are always free to say no to that and yes to Jesus. And I think so often what we do is we use our humanity as an excuse to live in sin. We, we just say, well, I mean, everybody's got faults, right? Nobody's perfect. 
I mean, what are you going to do? This is just who I am. This is how I am. This is I've always had this problem. But what would happen if we changed what we said? What if instead of using our humanity as an excuse to live in flesh, what if we use the fact that we had been saved by Jesus Christ to live in the spirit? What if we said, you know what, that is who I am. And that is what I naturally pull to. But Jesus has saved me to be something different. Jesus has called me to liberty and I don't have to do that any longer. That's what we're supposed to do. The liberty that we have in Christ, it is not a liberty to live in selfishness and sin. It is not a liberty to follow after our flesh. Instead, He has called us to liberty so that we can live a life of service. We are called to liberty to live a life of service. Service to God and service to others. Like Peter makes a similar statement to what Paul says here. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. We are called to liberty so that we can serve God and that we can serve one another. Now some will ask, well, how is it liberty if I have to serve others? I mean, surely a life of liberty means I get to do whatever I want to do. Surely a life of liberty means there's no obligations. I can just do what makes me happy, right? Well, no. Jesus did not call us to liberty so that we could live a life of selfishness and sin. He called us to liberty so that we could live a life that is much more significant than a life of selfishness and sin could ever hope to be. A life of selfishness and sin is not a significant life. A life of selfishness and sin is not a noble life. A life of selfishness and sin is not an admirable life. Think about so many of our pop culture icons. How many of them are famous simply because they live a life of selfishness and sin? Now, they may make a lot of money for their indulgence in the flesh and their every whim. But we all know, we recognize when we watch them, there is nothing noble about the lives they live. There is nothing admirable about the lives that they live. We don't look at them and say, I hope my kids grow up and act just like that. Do we? We recognize the futility, the worthlessness of that kind of life. And while we may not indulge our whims to the extremes that they do, when we live a life of selfishness and sin, we are no different than they are. We are doing exactly what they do in exactly the ways that they do it, just on a smaller scale. For many people, if we had the money they had, we would do the exact same things that they do. The only reason we don't live the exact lives that they live is because we don't have the ability to live the lives that they live. We live just like them, just on a smaller scale. Jesus did not live, die, rise from the dead and call us to liberty to live the base life. Of selfishness and sin. The call of Jesus, it is an upward call. It is not a call to live like the world, but it is a call to live like Jesus. It is called to live a life of selfless service to God 
and others. He sets us free in this service. Right? We, are, we are free to serve because of our relationship with Jesus. Prior to, to coming to know Jesus, we only serve when we have to or, or because we're supposed to or if we have no other choice. But once Jesus has called us to liberty, we find that serving is just a natural overflow of our relationship and our connection to Him. But we're free to serve regardless of the job. Prior to coming to Jesus, the, the ways that we serve are in ways that we like. We do what we want to do in the way that we want to do it. Right? We, now, it may vary. We may want to do the big stuff that everyone sees. Or we may want to do the little stuff that, that people will acknowledge. Gosh, look at them. They, they did something so insignificant. How great that they are. But when Jesus calls us to liberty, we are free to serve. Big job, little job, something I like, something I don't like. It doesn't matter. We see a need. We do what we can to meet the need. Because Jesus has called us and He has set us free to do that. We're, we're free to serve without caring if anyone notices. Before Jesus called us to liberty, we served in hopes of being seen. We wanted to be applauded. And we wanted people to recognize. But after Jesus has called us to liberty, that's not the motivation. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care if people see. We're not concerned if they do or if they don't. But that's not ever what motivates us. We are free to serve without human recognition because we know that Jesus saw and we know that Jesus is pleased by what we have done. Right? We're free to serve without expecting anything in return. Before Jesus called us to liberty... We expected those that we served to serve us back. And if they didn't, we got angry and we got bitter and we vowed not to ever serve them any longer. But once Jesus has called us to liberty and set us free, we're not concerned about whether or not the, the service is repaid or not. We're just glad to serve others like Jesus did. And again, we know that Jesus saw it and he was pleased. We're free to serve everyone. Before being called to liberty, we tended to pick and choose who we would serve. Sometimes we would serve the high and the powerful because that would garner us help later on down the road. Or we might serve the, the weak and the lowly because people would recognize that and think about how godly we were. But after being called to liberty, we began to take seriously Jesus' command to be a servant of all. Mighty. Lowly, makes no difference. We're willing and able to serve anyone and everyone, regardless of anything else. And we're free to serve as a lifestyle. Before we were called to liberty, we served when we felt like serving, when we felt like serving, and the way we felt like serving. But after being called to liberty, we're free to finish one act of service and immediately begin another because there's a need. We serve because needs exist. We serve because of what Jesus has done. We serve because we want to be like Jesus. This is the liberty that we have been called to in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be free. So the main idea, the central truth of the message, is that Jesus frees us to serve one another in love. Jesus frees us to serve one another in love. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty... Only do not use the liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve 
one another. The idea of serving is expressed over 300 times in the New Testament. The word used in Galatians is pretty much the strongest word that is used. And it means to serve, to obey, or to be a slave. In its strongest sense, it refers to someone who gives up their own will in order to execute the plans of another. That's a strong word. That's a strong picture that Paul was painting there. And we would ask, surely, surely Paul doesn't mean that we're called to liberty so that we can submit our will to the will of another. So that we can give up our plans to execute the plans of another. But when we look at all of the New Testament, we find that's exactly what Paul meant. Because that's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said that you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus turns the idea of greatness on its head. In the world, greatness is often determined by how many people serve us. In the kingdom, greatness is defined by how many people that we serve. What Jesus says is so contrary to the world at large. It is not the way the world out there thinks, but it is the way the world in here is supposed to think. Jesus says that we, if we want to be first, we have to put ourselves last. To be great, we need to be a servant. And not just a servant, but a servant to everyone. Not just a servant to my wife. Or my kids. Not just a servant to those I like or those that are like me. A servant to everyone. And in fact, he he uses the word a slave of all. It's the same word that Paul used in Galatians 5. Jesus says that if we want to be great in His kingdom, if we want to be like Him, we have to be willing to humbly submit To other people. To submit our will to their will. Our wants to their wants. Our needs to their needs. We must be willing to put the needs of others ahead of our own. Over and over and over again. But Jesus was not the guy to just say, go and do. He set the example. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus' life was one of service. Jesus set the example of serving one another in love. Everything He did was an act of service. His teaching was a way to serve one another in love. His miracles were ways that He served one another in love. The washing of the the saints of the disciples' feet was a way that He served them in His love for them. The greatest way that Jesus served others was through His death on the cross. Talk about an example putting the needs of others ahead of your own. Jesus... Set that example 
And He expected us to follow that example. And there is an element in which, if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I have been served by Jesus through His life, through His death, through His resurrection. How could I not serve someone after what the Lord of life has done for me? How could, how could I not do what was uncomfortable when the Lord of life died for me? How could I not serve those who are different than me when my Lord served sinners who were very unlike Him? How could I ever say, no, that's, that's too much, that's too far, that's too hard, that's beneath me, when the Creator of all washed the nasty feet of His disciples? How could I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, how could I do anything but live a life of service to others I claim I'm trying to be like Jesus and I'm following Him. I can't. But the service that is meant to be done in love and is meant to be done through love, our love for one another, our love for the Lord, it motivates us to do what we do. And this is critical. It is critical that we understand that we are to serve one another through love. Love has to be an element in it, or, according to Scripture, our, our service is actually worthless without love. Right? The Apostle Paul said it this way, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be, dirt, but to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Our service to one another has to be based on love or it is nothing. Our words are meaningless without love. A sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. How many in here have had somebody correct them at their life at one point or another? Tell you something you're doing is wrong or you're doing it the wrong way. Now, is there a difference between those that you know love you and those that you know that just want to put you down? Is there a difference in how you react to it? What the words mean? There are. Our words. Our words are, are meaningless without love. We have to be able to, when we serve one another through our words, through our teaching, through our encouragement, through our exhortation, even through our correction. Love has to be the foundation of it or it's worthless. Without love, our, our gifts are useless. But though I have all the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. And though I have all faith that I could move mountains. I mean, those are big things, right? I mean, that's huge. But if I have not love, I am nothing. I mean, God may have gifted you with great gifts that, you, that He will be able to use to do great things for His glory and advance the kingdom and encourage the church and help us to reach our community. But without love, 
in the way that we use those gifts. It's all useless. It's all useless. It's no value at all. Without love, our sacrifices are worthless. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. Again, all my goods. Martyr for the faith. Those are huge, huge things. But if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Sacrifices we may make in this life. Without love, they are worthless. Now, the world may see it, and the world may recognize it, and the world may acknowledge it. But as far as what God rewards, and what God sees, and what God acknowledges, they're worthless. If I want to serve, and to speak, and to sacrifice for the advancement of the kingdom, for the glory of God, to serve others... Love had better be the foundation of all that I say and all that I give and all that I do. Or it is all for naught. It will not do one bit of good as far as the kingdom of God and as far as God himself is concerned. What happens, though, when we when we love one another? Well, let me say this. The reason Paul says that without love. All that we do, it begins to make us about us. Right? With speech without love makes me puffed up. I know more than you. That was dumb. I can't believe you'd say something like that, goofball. It makes me want to put you in your place. It makes me enjoy getting to correct you. Love has puffed me up above you. My, my gifts without love, you guys are nothing without me. I mean, Come on. Obviously, I'm better than everybody else. Love me. Acknowledge me. Or I'm gone. Somebody else will will want all this, baby. Right? Love puffs me up. Without sacrifices. Without sacrifice. Or without love. I'll sacrifice, but I'll be sure you know about it. Scott, remember that time you were in trouble? Boy, how much, remember I came through for you? Right? I came and, and I didn't have much. I only had $100, but I gave Scott every bit of it. Yeah, I did. I just gave him all that I had. Oh, man, I'm awesome. That's what happens without love. Without love, we begin to exalt self. But with love, what happens? But with love, says the the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we love one another, we'll do everything else that we're supposed to do. Love motivates us to keep the things that God says we're supposed to do. When I love as I should, I do as I should. When I love others, I treat them the way that I should. I serve them the way that I should. My motive for serving them is what it should be. Love love leads me to do everything. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about how we're to treat others, doesn't it? How we're to act around them. How we're to give them the benefit of the doubt. How we're to put them ahead of ourselves. How we're to turn the other cheek. How if we have ought against each other, we're to go to them and try to correct it. How we're to bear with one another. To be with one another. To receive one another. To encourage one another. What motivates me to do all of those things for people? Love. When I love as I should, 
I will do as I should. Always. Always. Love is, is others-centered. Love always motivates me to put others ahead of myself. Their needs ahead of my needs. Their wants ahead of my wants. Their desires against my, ahead of my desires. Love as it is defined in Scripture, it is the guiding principle for all relationships. All of our interactions and how we serve. Without love, relationships are guided by selfishness. Without love, serving one another seems like bondage. Without love, serving one another becomes a negative experience that we have to endure. Without love, all of the one another's become burdens rather than blessings. But with love, that changes everything. I'm able to serve one another in love. Now, here's the thing. Not only am I supposed to love in this way, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we can love in this way. Look at what Peter says. Now you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now the idea of purifying refers to sanctification. Sanctification is a process that begins when we're saved and it continues until we, until we go to be with Jesus. And the goal of sanctification is to be like Jesus. And sanctification works in this way. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to help us be like the Son of God. So something in Scripture speaks to our hearts. Something we're doing we ought not be doing. Something we're not doing we ought to be doing. An attitude, an action, a value, a priority. It's not in line with Scripture. The Spirit of God begins to press in and say, this is wrong, you need to fix it. When we respond in faith and fix it, we become purified and we become more and more like Jesus. But as we become more like Jesus, notice what Peter says begins to happen. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, right? So you have, you have, you have cooperated with the Holy Spirit so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Right? We begin, as we, as we begin to be purified by the Spirit and the Word, we become more like Jesus, we begin to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it makes perfect sense if you think about it, because what's the goal of sanctification? It is to be like Jesus. Now, to be like Jesus, we often limit that just to morals. Morally be like Jesus. And to be sure, that's a part of it. But Jesus wasn't just moral, was He? He was the example of loving service to others. And so as I become like Jesus the more I'll love the way Jesus loved. The more I'll begin to care about people the way Jesus cared about people. Christ's likeness isn't just be moral. It also changes us so that we can be loving. That we would love one another. That we would serve one another in love. And since we have that love and we have been purified and we are growing in that, then love one another deeply. From a pure heart. Fervently, some translations say. As a believer in Jesus Christ, God is constantly working in you so that you can be more like Jesus. Part of the work that God is going to do in your life is going to be to make you love the way Jesus loved. It is going to be to help you to love other Christians the way Jesus loves them. Now, there is an element of cooperation in this. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal things. The Holy Spirit is going to try to purify us. We have to cooperate with that. 
And we have to go. And as we begin to move forward in this, our hearts begin to be tender toward other believers. But even with that, we then have to choose to love one another deeply from the hearts. As God begins to sanctify us, He'll begin to create a selfless love for others that leads us to serve them. But in the end, we have to choose to cooperate with that. We have to choose to do what He is leading us and He is changing us to do. We have to follow the call. He's calling us to liberty so that we can serve one another in love, but we have to choose to follow that call and begin to serve one another in love. We all have the ability to either be like Jesus and serve others in love or follow the flesh and be selfish and sinful in our lives. Within each one of us is the ability to do all one or the other based upon our decision and who we're going to follow and what we're going to be like. Now, verse 15 is interesting because it's a part of the context of 13 and 14, but it seems to be different than that. But what I think of it as I study it is I think it's a warning. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you are consumed by one another. Here's the way I see this. Jesus is always calling me to liberty so that I can serve one another through love. When I don't follow that call, then I begin to bite and devour others. Now, the word picture in verse 15 is that of wild animals fighting to destroy one another. Biting and devouring, it pictures ripping chunks of flesh out of one another. And it almost looks like we have a choice. We can follow Jesus' upward call to liberty and serve one another in love. Or we can follow the path down and begin to bite and devour one another. But when we follow Jesus' upward call, we're, we're not going to bite and devour. But when we reject that call and we don't follow Him to that, it's almost like we devolve to wild animals. And we begin to rip and to chew and to destroy others with our mouths. Biting and devouring, it refers to how we speak to and about others. One another, particularly within the church. Do you know that our, our words matter? And our words matter in ways that we don't tend to think about. Typically, when we talk about our words mattering... We talk about cussing, profanity. And to be sure, the Bible speaks against using profanity. But do you know that the most common way the Bible says our words are bad is not in profanity, but in how we talk about one another? Like Romans 3. Romans 3, Paul says, There's none righteous, no, not one. And as he begins to explain... To show pictures of people who are unrighteous, he talks about their mouth is full of cursing, but he's not talking about profanity. He's talking about the way they talk about others. Their, their mouths are an open sepulcher. They speak death rather than life. They, their, ser- their tongues of asps and serpents are on their lips. Their, their mouths are filled with venom and poison toward others. So one of the ways Paul shows the world is unrighteous and the world is not good is in running each other down, is in chewing and poisoning and Hurting others with our words. Our, our words matter. Our words are a reflection of our heart. Look at what Jesus said. I mean, this is, this is crazy. A good man 
out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. But look at the next thing. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. And then this last part, this is just unbelievable. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Man, that's hard. On judgment day, we'll all give an account for the words that we've spoken. And these words, they will either prove that we have been born again, or they will prove that we were never saved to begin with. That's what it means by condemned. Condemned. He's not saying, by these words you'll get good rewards, or by your words you'll get less rewards. Justified. By your words you'll be told, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of thy Lord. Or by your words you'll hear, depart from me. I never knew you. How is it possible that our words are that significant. Because words reflect the heart. See, when Jesus comes, He doesn't just change our eternal destiny. He doesn't just make it so that we go to heaven rather than hell. He changes us to the very core of our being. He changes our attitudes and our actions, our priorities, our values. He changes even the words that we speak. So much so that one could look at the words we speak and determine whether or not we believed in Jesus Christ. That one could look at the words we speak and it would testify of whether or not He has brought change and life into us. And again, we can't narrow this to just profanity. Certainly a part of it. But it's not all of it. The biggest part of what we're warned about, Old and New Testament, isn't don't say cuss words. It is don't cuss others. Don't bite and devour. Don't destroy people with your mouth. What is it James said? With our mouth we, we worship our God. And then we go, and in the same mouth we curse those made in His image. My brothers, these things what? Ought not to be. Out of the same mouth proceed cursing and blessing. Does the same spring produce sweet water and bitter water? Our words testify about what's going on in our hearts. If our words are filled with biting and devouring other people, our hearts are not right with God. There is a deep and a need, deep and a big need for us to change, for Jesus to get a hold of us. Our words say something about our heart and our relationship with Jesus. And when our words bite and devour one another, what it says is we have not answered Jesus' call to liberty in serving one another in love. 
It says we are not being purified and becoming more and more like Jesus in love. Jesus has not called us to take the low road of selfishness, sin, biting, and devouring. He has called us with an upward call to selfless service, selfless service motivated by love, where our words impart grace to the hearers. Are you following Jesus' upward call to serve one another in love? Or do you live a life of selfishness? What do your words say about your heart? Do they reveal a heart of selfless love-based service? Or do your words reveal a heart that is led by the flesh, by the way they bite and they devour other people made in the image of God. When Jesus saves us, He changes us deeply, legitimately. And where there is no change, we should be concerned that there is no Jesus. As our musicians come, I want to read.